for a handful of folks tonight, this is a little crazy, but for a handful of folks tonight, this is going to be a repeat message. You say, you've only been here two months, you already run out of stuff to preach? That's not the case. And I don't know that I've ever done that before, but when I was here back either in July or in August, uh, Brother Bowman, you were gone, and I filled in in your Sunday school class, and I brought this lesson in your Sunday school class. And so I know half of them fell asleep while I was teaching, so they didn't hear it anyways, but I, no, they didn't fall asleep. But, so I know this is going to be a repeat, and I wouldn't normally do that, but I can't get away from this message. Since I taught it there in that class, and that was back, again, I don't know if it was the end of July or middle of August, but since I taught it there, I have, every week in my life, I've gone back to the principles that I shared with the people in that Sunday school class and I've used them in my own life. And so I thought, and, and again, I, I knew that there would be a, a number of, uh, several folks that were in there that are hearing it for the second time. I think it was Spurgeon who said, if a, uh, if a message is not good enough to preach twice, you shouldn't preach it once. Well, I, I think I kind of agree with that, but I don't know that he meant, you know, you're supposed to keep preaching it to the same people over and over again. Uh, but I, I can't get away from these principles that I, that I shared there, and I wanted to share them with the whole church. Tonight, the, the title of the message is Diffusing the Conflicts of Life. You see, because as you and I serve the Lord and as we live our lives, conflicts are going to come. And at that time, I wasn't, we haven't even moved down here, but there has not been a week that's gone by since then that I have not thought about these principles, that I've not applied them somewhere in my personal life, whether it was with my children, uh, with my wife, with, with other folks that I was working with in Northern California, with church members there as we've come down here. And, and my life is not one big conflict, but, but when you put people together, there are opportunities for conflict, for contention. We're going to take a look at some things. And, and to me, this is not a curative message. This is not, well, we're having a bunch of problems in our church and we need to fix it. To me, these are principles that I have gone back to and it's preventative. I think much of the Christian life, we, we ought to have principles that we apply and things that we hide in our hearts and things that we have there that not to fix things but that so that when situations come in our lives we have that principle to go back to to help us through that trial and so for me I want to share it with God's people I've, I've used it several times in counseling with different folks since then and I just thought you know what? I'm gonna preach it to the church at large and so for those that would have been in Brother Bowman's Sunday School class that that summer Sunday morning I do apologize I, I, I would not I would not normally do this I can't remember when I have done this but I feel that the, that God has directed me uh, to this message for us tonight Genesis chapter number 13 beginning in verse number one shall we stand together as we read these verses Genesis 13 beginning in verse number one and Abram went up out of Egypt he and his wife and all that he had and who church and Lot with him and into the south. We have three people. Abram, his wife, all that he had, which included some servants and employees, if you will. And Lot now, but we have three family members. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Verse number 5, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. You can be seated there. We have the story here of Abraham, Abram, before his name is changed there to Abram, Abram and Lot. And Abram is leaving out, and, and we have the story of Abram, he is exactly where he's supposed to be. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing, 
He's, and, and by the way, God is blessing. His, his business is thriving. His, his portfolio is looking great. Everything is good. And the same is true for his nephew. His family, there's family unity, and his family is with him together. And the Bible says that Lot also, which went with him, had flocks and herds and tents. And, and these are two men that are where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to do, blessed by God. And guess what they find? In just a minute, we're going to look. They find contention. They find conflict. They find that, and in life, in our families, in churches, at work, conflict is inevitable. There was a pastor a, a year or two ago on social media I saw, and he's in Kansas, and, and I follow him there, and, and he was talking, he had several tweets in a row where he was talking about the fact, it is unreasonable for us to think that we are going to attend the same church for any length of time and think that there's not going to be conflict. Why? Because you have a sin nature and I have a sin nature. And you're going to make mistakes and I'm going to make mistakes. And you're going to hurt people and I'm going to hurt people sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally because that's what fallen sinful people do. We have conflict. Anybody here, you've been married for more than a day or two and you, didn't have, there's, you say, we've never had conflict. If so, you're going to be teach, preaching here every, every service from now on, giving us the secret. It's not possible, right? You bring two, two sinful people into a marriage, what happens? There's conflict. You have children and, and more than one child in the home. What's going to happen? There's going to be conflict. At work, if you work with the same people for any length of time, at times there's going to be some tension. There's going to be some conflict. It's a part of life. It's inev inevitable. It is going to come. So we need to understand biblical principles for when it comes. We need to understand how to deal with those things in our personal lives, in our families, in our marriage, at church, at work, wherever we find our extended families doing those things. By the way, Abram, as I mentioned, was where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to do helping his family living for God focused on, on uh, living for others as far as helping lot there God was blessing and yet he faced conflict may I say this by way of introduction just because you face conflict does not mean you're in the wrong place just because there's conflict in your marriage does not mean you're married to the wrong person in fact whoever you're married to if you're married today that is God's will for your life but what do we do in our society when there's conflict? What happens by nature? Our tendency is conflict. Okay, I'm going to run. I got, into, I got into a fight there at work. Okay, I'm going to go to HR and I'm going to tell them either they go or I go. Or they've got to put me in a different department or this has to happen there. In marriage, in our society, what happens? There's conflict. What do we do? We run. And we have irreconcilable differences, right? What does that mean? We couldn't diffuse the conflicts of life. We didn't understand how to navigate the natural conflicts that come when you bring two people with two different backgrounds into the same place. I saw somewhere online or something that a, a picture of an elderly couple been married 60 or 65 years, and it said, we were married for 65 years because when we were kids, we were taught that when something was broke, you fixed it. Well, what, what are we taught today? When something's broke, you throw it away and get something new. That'll happen even within the church. There's conflict. Well, it's time for me to leave the church. No, it's not. It's, it, uh, pastor Thompson was sharing a statistic with me that the average pastor leaves the church he's in because of seven critics. Seven people that are against him and what happens because we don't, I think some, because human nature, but we don't understand how to biblically navigate through the natural conflicts of life. What happens? Well, all of a sudden when we f face a little opposition, our tendency is to run or we convince ourselves I'm not in the right place because conflict came. Abram was in the right place doing the right thing, blessed of God, and conflict still came. We're going to see a powerful 
powerful formula on diffusing the conflicts of life. But before we do, if we're going to understand how to diffuse the conflicts of life, we're going to have to uh, understand, number one, the source of all conflict. Would you hold your hand here in Genesis 13 and turn a few books over to Proverbs chapter number 13. Hold your hand in Genesis 13 and then we'll come back to Genesis 13 and we'll stay in Genesis 13 the entire time. But if we're going to be able to diffuse the conflicts of life, we must understand biblically the source of all conflict. Proverbs chapter number 13. If you're there this evening, would you say amen? If you're not there, just say amen when you get there. We'll find out who's the slowest one to turn on the sword drills there. Yep, Miss Katie right down here just got there. All right, we can start now. Proverbs 13. Would you read verse number 10 aloud with me tonight? Proverbs 13, 10. Ready? Begin. Only with the well-advised is wisdom. What did it say there? Only by what church? Pride cometh contention. You have conflict in your marriage? Guess where it came from? Pride. She didn't treat me the way I deserve to be treated. I've asked him over and over and over again, and he didn't, and what is that? We believe we deserve something out of the relationship. We believe that we deserve something and we, we ought to have. And so the answer to conflict is to humble ourselves. The answer to restore that relationship is to humble ourselves. Isn't that what, that's, what, what, what the Bible says about Christ? How did he restore all of mankind? How did he pay the price for our sins? The Bible says that he took upon himself, he humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. Oh, but you don't understand what they did to me. Oh, we don't understand what we did to Christ. And yet he still loved us. Oh, there was no contention and conflict on Christ's end toward us. Why? Because there was no pride. Christ said, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was impossible to have a two-sided conflict with Christ because he had no pride. And so he humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a servant. And by doing that, he was able to restore and, and offer at least restoration to all mankind. And when we then humble ourselves, we can be reunited and every transgression can be forgiven. Every wrong can be righted. Why? Because Christ was willing to humble himself. But in your life and in mine, if we're going to diffuse the the conflicts of life we must first understand the source of all conflict when you face conflict and when I face conflict when there's tension at work and when there's tension in the home and when there's tension at God's house and when there's tension with the extended family it's because when there's tension online on your social media it's because you believe that you are owed something and somebody has done you wrong and you're allowing pride to creep up in your heart well my boss didn't recognize me for this well, well they, they pass over for me, me for that, and they gave the promotion to that person who didn't deserve it. Well, I should have had that. And over at the church there, they treated my kids like this in the nursery, and they didn't let me sing the solo, and they didn't, and whatever the case may be, and by the way, they never let me sing the solo either. And I kind of want to sing them every now and again, but I've never been able, I've sung one solo in my life when I was in Bible college in College Chapel. It was unbelievable. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but it was unbelievable. And uh, they never asked me again, so you can take it for how it really was. But what happens? All of a sudden, whenever conflict comes, we can always trace it back. I deserve something more than what I was given. And that's when pride rears its ugly head, contention comes in our lives, and conflict. Let me give you an equation. One prideful human being, which you are, and so am I, plus one prideful human being equals conflict. 
You put two people together anywhere for any length of time, and there's going to be conflict. I remember I was in Bible college. I was excited to serve the Lord and, 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 and had the opportunity to go into ministry full time. And, man, I couldn't wait. I heard my father-in-law, who was the pa- my pastor, and one of his, his famous statements, he would tell the Bible college students, the ministry is great. He would say it over and over again, which I believe. The ministry is great. And, man, I thought, you know, like Tony the Tiger, it's great. You know, I mean, this thing, you, you want to serve the Lord. It's an amazing life. And I agree 100% with all of those statements. But Man, I was a, a 21-year-old young man. I graduated from Bible college and, and went into the ministry that was so great. And I remember within my first few weeks, maybe the first month or two, and we were in our church offices there, and I heard, I heard some loud noise going on down the church office. And I, and I thought, what? And I kind of poked. It was around the corner. I poked my head out, and one of our assistant pastors was standing at one of, one of our administrative assistant's offices, and there was from both some very loud conversation taking place one to the other. And I thought, whoa. And he said, well, you don't understand. She, and I heard her from in there. Well, what, the reason I did this, and you're right. What? Wait a second. I thought we were all God's servants. I thought we were all excited about reaching the lost with the gospel. And there would never be a conflict here. I thought we all lived in this utopia of full-time Christian service. We're all on a church staff. God's people. We love everybody. Well, and it was, it was an eye-opener for me. Wait a second. Even people that are called to serve God full-time in the ministry, they have conflicts too? Oh, yeah. They do. You put two people together for any length of time, there's going to be some conflict. We need to understand the source of all conflict. All contention, according to the Bible, only by pride cometh contention. And, and, and by the way, all of us have pride, therefore all of us will have conflict. Now we head back to Genesis 13, and we're going to look at several thoughts within these two verses for a pattern for diffusing the conflicts of life that we see here from Abram and Lot. Genesis chapter number 13, beginning in verse number 8, the, fir- the second thought here with diffusing the conflicts of life, regardless of the situation, take the lead in resolving the conflict. Let me say that again. Regardless of the situation, take the lead in resolving the conflict. Would you notice verse, no, I'm sorry, let's read verse number 7. We never even read the conflict here. Genesis 13, verse number 7. Would you read the first five words of Genesis 13, verse number 7 aloud? Ready? Begin. And there was a what? There was a what? And there was a strife. Genesis 13, verse number 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Notice what happens here. There's a strife between Abram's employees and Lot's employees. Abram did not have a strife with Lot's employees. Abram did not have a strife with Lot. Lot did not have a strife with Abram that we're told of in this passage. And Lot did not have a strife with Abram. It was the the employees. And I believe they were kind of fighting over the fact of, hey, Abram's herdsmen maybe saying hey you're the nephew you wouldn't even be out here if if my boss didn't bring you out here we need the best land for our cattle and for our herds to feed on and I believe that 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 Lot's herdsmen maybe were saying something like well your your boss should have thought about that before he invited Lot out and if he's going to invite Lot out we deserve a place to keep our animals healthy because if we don't it's our jobs on the line we're the ones going to be in trouble and they're fighting because they had too much stuff for the land that they had there was a fight but I want you to see in verse number eight the first five words in verse number eight beginning with the word and would you read those aloud ready begin and Abram said unto Lot wait a second there was a strife between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen Lot's herdsmen and Abram said unto Lot this wasn't Abram's problem now it was going to be Abram's problem if he didn't deal with it 
But at this point, this wasn't Abram's problem. He didn't make this mess. He didn't start this fight. But you know what he did? He took the lead in resolving it. Abram said, you know what? I'm going I'm to nip this thing in the bud. I'm going to go communicate uh, maturely and spiritually. I'm going to go talk to them. And we're going to work on this and figure this thing out. And, and he took the lead. May I challenge you as, as Christians and may I challenge myself as a Christian. May we be the bigger person when conflicts arise. May we take the high road. I believe that God sees that even when the other party doesn't respond in the way that we had hoped. God sees that, and God understands that, and God blesses that, and God honors that. By the way, in this culture, Abraham was older. Abraham was more respected. Abraham was the leader. I believe, humanly speaking, Abraham could have come and said, Lot, go take care of that. You understand, without me, you're not here at all. I'm the one in charge here. I'm the one that, that has control here. And if you, don't, if you don't take care of this, you guys are going to have to find another place to go. I believe, humanly speaking, in that culture, he would have been justified to do that. But Abraham was not looking out for himself. Abraham was focused on diffusing the conflicts of life. He took the lead. There was a strife between Abram's herdsmen, herdmen and, and Lot's herdmen, and then and what happens then? Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife. We've got to deal with this. We justify why we don't uh, diffuse the conflicts of life because we say, well, they started it. Well, if they'll apologize to me, then if they'll really prove that they're sincere to me, then I'll get right with them. With my wife, she knows what she's done wrong, and when she humbles herself, then we can restore well, my husband, when he finally, when he, he's hurt me very deeply. We don't find that pattern in scripture. We don't find that pattern here. Abram had, had, had done nothing wrong, and yet he took the lead in resolving the conflict. In your life and in mine, is there a conflict that you are, you're facing, and you've been waiting for the other party? You've been saying, well, if and when, if they do this, if they do that, if my husband, if my boss, if my mother-in-law, whatever it might be, wherever the conflict in your life has risen from, if they will really prove themselves, then we will work on it and see if they really show that they really mean it. Is that how Christ offered restoration to us? Ephesians 4.32 still in the Bible. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Next word, forgiving one another. And then it stops. Now, th that's one thing, forgiving one another. Okay, I'm commanded to forgive. And we can kind of put our own little uh, gauge on that, what that means and to what extent. I'm commanded to forgive people. And, but, but everybody would understand if I didn't forgive this guy for what he did here. But he doesn't leave it open-ended there. He puts a little caveat that changes everything forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you wait a second even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you that's everything Christ, how many times my brothers offended me shall I forgive until seven times you know what our society says you forgive once what do they what do they say burn me once shame on you, burn me twice, shame on, we tell, hey, I'll forgive you once, after that it's over, we're done, I put a wall up, we're, there's no more, we don't have a relationship anymore, that's what our society says, in the Bible they were saying, should we forgive until seven times, that's a lot of times to forgive somebody that's wronged you, should we forgive until seven times, and what did Christ say, I say unto thee until 70 times seven, 490 times, you forgive, and you forgive, and you forgive, and you take the lead in resolving it, and you weren't the one in the wrong, but you're the one that offers forgiveness, and you are the one that has a human justification for why you're angry and upset and 
and bitter, but you have no scriptural justification because the Bible says, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so may I ask church tonight, who is it in your heart and who is it in your life that has hurt you, that in your heart you have not been able to forgive? Is it somebody maybe years ago, maybe it's some, I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit's bringing somebody to your heart and you say, they handled that situation wrongly and they treated me wrong there and they lied about me there and they, they were dishonest in this, in this dealing with me here and I will not forgive them. I cannot forgive them. May I say, there's no scriptural grounds for that spirit. The Bible says when that's our spirit, there's a root of bitterness that gets planted in our lives that at some point will spring up and thereby defile many. You must find it in your heart to forgive those who have wronged you and seek the lead, regardless of that solution, take the lead in resolving the conflict. Again, we, we justify why we allow conflict to continue in our lives because we didn't start it, because they handled it poorly, because they should respect me more, because my wife should do this, because my husband should do that. Well, if they apologize, then I will do this. Abraham could have said all of that, and all we find in Scripture was there was a conflict that he had no part in, that he had no part in causing, and Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife. Let's deal with this, Lot. Let's, I can't live in conflict with my brother, with my nephew, with my family, with my friends. So we need to take the lead. Number three. So I said, number one, understand the source of all conflict. Number two, regardless of the situation, take the lead in resolving the conflict. Number three, deal with the situation directly. Would you notice again the first five words of verse number eight? Would you read those? Ready? Begin. And Abram said unto... And Abram said to Lot's herdsmen... Do we find that? He came and said, hey guys, what's going on here? My employees are telling me you're giving them a hard time. You know, he could have gone and tried to manipulate the situation to, to resolve the conflict. We don't find that. Abram said to Lot, hey Lot, we're going to deal with this maturely. I'm not going to go behind your back and try to get other people against you and get everyone on my side. I'm not. We do that sometimes with our children, don't we? Well, you tell your mother if she's ready to come back, then we'll deal with this. Children don't need to be a part of our conflict. Well, you tell your father, I'm not talking to him until he comes and deal with it directly. That's, that's playground stuff. Hey, you go tell him I'll be his best friend if. You, you go tell him that, that you know, that you go over, can you believe what they did in the kickball game? That's what they do on the, on the playground in the elementary school. But yet we do that sometimes as God's family. We do that sometimes in our own families, in marriage. We do that at work. God's people handle conflict so unbiblically, so unscripturally. And conflict is inevitable, inevitable because you have pride and I have pride. And when there's pride, there's contention. It will come. Now our lives should not be characterized by contention. Our marriages should not be characterized by conflict. Our churches should not be characterized by division. But there will be seasons of conflict that arise in every one of our lives, in every relationship of our lives and we in our lives should deal with the situation directly don't deny that the problem exists don't say well let the let the servants figure it out Abram didn't say well let my employees figure it out with lots of employees no one else did his dirty work he he was willing to go and to speak openly and honestly and maturely and by the way open and honest communication is the cornerstone for every human relationship you must be willing to handle those things wisely and maturely number four you're listening well. Number four, this is a big one in deal, diffusing the conflicts of life. Seek resolution, not victory. This is huge. This is hard. Notice verse number eight. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no what, church? Let there be no what? 
Strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. What did he say? When he came to him, he didn't talk anything about the ramifications of their conflict. He didn't come to them with any kind of, 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 of ammunition. Here's why I'm in the right. Here's why your herdmen are in the wrong. And here's why you need to come to my side on this resolution. He sought resolution, not victory. Abraham did not care when he came to this conflict. He did not care what it looked like on the end as long as what it looked like was the relationship was restored. That's what Abram cared about. That's what his priority was. His whole goal when he came, let there be no strife. He got it out in the open. You don't see him in scripture. You don't see him talking about, now you know there's been a problem and you know your guys were in the wrong. He didn't start building his case. God didn't call us to be the prosecutor or the defense attorney. God called us to restore. That's what the Christian is supposed to do. We need to seek resolution, not victory. We need to understand that, that, that I don't care what that ends up meaning for me as long as we restore. That's what Abraham said here. Let there be no strife. His entire goal was what, th- that there was no strife when they were done talking. And we find out later, he didn't care what that meant for his business. He didn't care what that meant for his cattle. He didn't care what that meant for his employees. He didn't care what that meant for him. All he cared about was Lot, let there be no strife. And he said, let there be no strife between me and thee. Now, there wasn't any yet. But Abraham was smart enough to understand that if this conflict wasn't dealt with biblically, there was going to be conflict between him and Lot. And he was going to deal with it directly and deal with it quickly and get it taken care of before it festered. Don't we do that sometimes? We allow things to fester and bitterness to grow and, and this big angry monster. And then we just explode and we, we destroy relationships and we burn bridges. And, and, and we do these things that hurt the, the body of Christ and hurt families and hurt, hurt we, we quit and lose jobs. I, I tell my, my boss off and I'm out of there. And what, what happened? Because we didn't deal with things biblically and spiritually and maturely and many times we come for resolution we don't come for resolution though we think we're going to take the lead in resolving it but we come for victory not resolution now i'm willing to address you directly as long as you see my side and when we're done you agree with my side and when we're done i get the resolution i want that's how we that's how we deal with conflict very often that's not what Abram said. Abram said, let there be no strife. I, I, I don't care what it means. I don't want us to have conflict. I don't want us to have contention. I don't want us to have that. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. Instead of coming to the conflict with your spouse or with your mate or whoever, your, your boss, whatever it might be with your children and trying to, now you did this and you did that and you did this and let me lay out my case and the, you know, exhibit, exhibit a, uh, 3.4 AB and in the evidence pile here and here's what happened there and back in 1942, remember when you did that at Christmas and, and remember this happened there, instead of laying it all out, hey babe, I feel like there's some problems, let there be no strife between me and thee, hey pastor, there's something that's been bothering me. Let there be no strife. Hey, church member, let there be no strife. Hey, brother, sister, you fill in the blank. Seek resolution, not victory. Abram's a great, great example of that. Number five. Number five. The fifth thought here from this passage. If you want to diffuse the conflicts of life biblically, number five, let them know the relationship is more important than the reason for contention. Let them know that the relationship is more important than the reason for contention. Would you look at the last four words of verse number 8? Begin with the word for. The last four words. Would you read those aloud? Ready? Begin. For we be... Lot? 
I've got one goal in this conversation. Let there be no strife between us. Let there be no strife between our employees. Let there be no strife between our businesses. Why? For we be brethren. Our relationship is more important than the cause for our contention. Our relationship is more important than my business success. Our relationship is more important than where my cattle graze. You matter to me. And when you approach somebody with that mindset, you'll be amazed how conflicts can disappear. If you'll approach somebody and say, hey, I want you to know that I feel like there's been a conflict and I want you to know my whole goal here, let's talk this thing out. My whole goal is that there's no strife. And I want you to know our relationship is more important than whatever it is we're fighting about. And I'm willing to let go of that so that we can have biblical restoration. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul, I'm I'm sorry, not the Apostle Paul, I, I preached about him this morning. That's exactly what Abram, got my testaments mixed up here. That's exactly what Abram did right here. But you know what we do? Children don't have the maturity to see the relationship as more important than the reason for the conflict. You know what children do? Children, what do they say when there's conflict? What do they do? They, they see the conflict as more important than the relationship. You're not my best friend. Don't kids do that? Ty's sitting right here, my buddy. Back in Santa Clara, we live right next door to your best friend, right? They, they, we live next door to his best friend. Isn't that cool? I mean, that, it's pretty cool to live next door to your best friend for three years. They were in the same Sunday school class, the same elementary school class. Literally, this kid like, was like my sixth child. He lived in my home like, Mark, get out of my house and go back home. I'm tired of seeing your face, all right? And uh, this kid was over all the time. He's a great kid. He was over all the time. And they got along 99% of the time. But there were several times over those three years where they would come back in and they would all be playing outside, Ty and Tej and Ash, and they'd be playing with Mark and his sister, Alexis and Haley and their great family. And they would come back in and they would say, well, Mark, Mark told me I'm not his best friend anymore because we did, or they would say, well, Titus told Mark he's not his, or whatever it might be. And, and, what would they, and I would say, you guys are best friends. Get out there and deal with it, okay? The kickball game is not as important as your friendship. Get out there and deal with it. But children do that, don't they? You're not my best friend anymore. And they, they, they hold hostage the relationship until you get to see their way. You know what else children do? They say, they manipulate the situation. I'll be your best friend if... I'll, I'll, be, I'll be your best friend if you give me, the, we, we got a big, you know, they, 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 you're sitting at the lunch table, and the cool kid, there's always that one cool kid, the, the cool kid that the parents send nothing but junk food in their lunch, right? When you're a little kid, that's the cool kid, and you want his lunch, and your mom sent the carrot sticks and the broccoli, the broccoli trees, and the, uh, you know, all that, you all know what I'm talking about? Any of you, you were the cool kid, your mom let you have all the junk food? Me either, okay? And, uh, and, and you're there, and you say, hey, if you'll share your dessert with me, if you'll share that candy bar, I'll be your best friend. Don't they do that? We don't say it that way, but we do the same thing. Oh, we can stay friends if you see everything my way. Oh, we can stay friends. We can stay involved in in whatever it might be. We can do this if you, if I can manipulate the situation to my victory. You know what else children do? Not only do they see the relationship as more important than the, I'm sorry, they see the, 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 the cause for conflict is more important than the relationship. They want victory. Not only do they manipulate the situation, you know what children do when there's conflict? They run. I'm taking my ball and going home. I'm going and telling mom. 
I'm going and telling the teacher. Instead of staying and working it out, they run from the situation. And by the way, we get a little smarter in how we package all of that, but we deal with conflict very often the exact same way that children deal with it on the playground. And Abram didn't deal with it that way at all. Abram said, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. That's the goal. Resolution, not victory. Why? For we be brethren. I don't think it's any coincidence that he put those four words at the end. Lot, our relationship is more important than our reason for contention. Lot, who you are in Christ and, and what you mean to me and our, our relationship is more important than the things that we're fighting about in your life and in mine. We need to understand that. We need to be able to do that. Really say in our lives, I care more about you than I care about me. That's what that is. When you care more about the relationship than the reason for contention, what you're saying is, I care more about you than I care about me. Because if I want victory, I care about me. If I want relationship, I care about you. Number six. Number six, the example of Abram here in Genesis 13. How do you diffuse the conflicts of life? Number six, defer to the other party. This is an easy one to preach and a hard one to live. Verse number nine. Would you read verse number nine aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. What did he say? He said, I don't care what this looks like for me at the end, but we're brethren, and, and I don't want any strife. And whatever that means, you take the best lot, and I'll take the leftovers. And if you want to go to the right, I'll take the left. And if you want to go to the left, I'll take the right. Guess what? If a bunch of Christians in their homes and at their workplaces and in their place of worship, if a bunch of Christians would apply this pattern of Abram, it'd be really Real hard for conflicts to continue to boil and real hard for conflicts to stay for very long because if Brother Kevin and I have a conflict, Brother Ryan has a conflict with me and I say, Ryan, you know what? I just don't want us to have a conflict anymore and our relationship's more important than what we're fighting about and whatever it means, you have the best, I'll take the, it's kind of hard to fight with that. The Bible says what happens there is you heap coals of fire on their head. It's kind of tough to deal with, the Bible says, by the way, the command there, you say, where's the biblical principle other than that verse? The Bible says, in honor preferring one another if you were to go to our children today and, and just say those two words walk up to them maybe not trey he's still a, a work in progress but the three older ones for sure if you went up and just said in honor they would immediately say preferring one another and if you said be ye they would say kind why because they always in honor prefer one another no they very often don't and we have to repeat it over and over and over again we're trying to drive that in son defer to the other party honey defer, defer to the other party honey care about the relationship more than you do that and it frustrates me when my kids don't and by the way then I, I sometimes get convicted because I think God I do the exact same thing to my brothers and sisters in Christ and to those around me and it must frustrate you when I as uh, who was it that uh, was it was it uh, brother Kevin your children's time people are more important than things our kids have said that multiple times just this week they said I think that was yours people are more important than things and and they've said that again this week and God so often I make things and myself more important than people and I, I I seek my own but the Bible says in honor preferring one another and and it frustrates me my, my kids they'll fight over which seat in the car they sit in they'll call shotgun and and they'll, they'll be like fighting over it at the front door and I'll say are you kidding me look at that seat look at that seat they're the exact same seat like three feet apart and we're going to fight over that? Your brother is not more important than a seat? Your, your sister is not more important than a seat? And luckily, Trey doesn't understand the whole thing. So Trey's our three-year-old. He'll be four in December. And so he says he's got a way to seek. He, he resolves it every time. He does this. Shotgun back. 
and he thinks he wins every time. He's happy to get right in the back seat and sit in the middle where no one wants to sit, and he's like, Dad, I got shotgun back. By the way, he may be handling it more scripturally than anyone else in our family because he's, he doesn't know it, but he's deferring to the other party. He goes, shotgun middle. Son, I don't think you get the idea. Shotgun middle, that's not how it works. Shotgun's up there, right? But we fight over the dumbest things, don't we? And we do the same thing, and the Heavenly Father looks down and says, Really? You as my child is going to fight with that who's my child over that? Just say shotgun back. I'll take the leftover seat. I'll head to the back of the car. It's not that important. You want that seat? Have it. You want that, whatever it is in our lives, whatever it is in our families, that's when the church works well. That's when the family works well. That's when a business place thrives. I forgot what business leader it was that talked about if you could get every employee on the same page, rowing in the same direction, you would dominate any industry. When everybody says, hey, I'm living for you and I'm living for you and we're living for each other and we have a common goal in mind. Oh, and you want that? Let me defer to you. In honor, preferring one another, love your enemies. Do good to them which despite use you as much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men turn the other cheek the bible says if they say go with you one mile what does the bible say go a, a, go a second mile also if they they say give me your coat give me your cloak also or vice versa give me your cloak give me your coat also and it's that all through there it's been said before you insult a man walk a mile in his shoes that way you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes I don't know if that's, that's the, right, the right principle there. But we need, we need to get a spirit of, I'm not going to seek my own. This thing, you heard me preach it on the, the night I was voted in. This thing is bigger than me. This church is bigger than me. It's bigger than Pastor Tomlinson. It's bigger than, this is not about us. This is not about, it's about him. It's, this is his work, and we in our lives, wherever the conflict rises, and whether it's at home, wherever it is, we need to learn to defer to the other party. And then the last thought, and by the way, may I say this? Before I go to the last thought, deferring to the other party may cause you loss. Do it anyways. God convicted me of this in my own life this week, something specific, where me deferring to another party will hurt me. And God, through his word, showed me some verses and convicted me. You need to do it anyways. Uh, you, need to, uh, you need to respond biblically. You need to respond scripturally. You need to respond in a Christ-honoring way. God, and this leads me to point number seven. Even if it causes you loss, you need to defer to the other party. Number seven. Number seven, would you notice, I want you to see, God will bless you for handling conflict properly. Even, even if it's not received properly, God will bless you. I want you to see verse number 14. Last place we'll look, and we'll tie this all up and be done. We'll, we'll have communion tonight. Verse number 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, what, from comma to comma, could you read that aloud with me? The word after to the word him, from comma to comma there. Ready? Begin. After that lot was separated from him. Wait a second. I don't think, again, I don't think anything in Scripture is there for, on accident. After Lot dealt with conflict scripturally. After, I'm sorry, Abram dealt with conflict in a God-honoring way. I want you to see this. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and 
eastward and westward for all the land which thou seest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. What happened? Abram came and said, you want the left? I'll take the right. You want the right? I'll take the left. You want the best? I'll take the leftovers. And God said, now that you've handled that conflict that way, Abram, look there and look there and look there and look there. Everywhere that you look, you can have it. I'm going to bless you far greater than you ever would have imagined because you humbled yourself, because you deferred to the other party, because you saw the relationship is more important than the reason for contention. And God, I believe the same thing will happen in your marriage and in mine when we will humble ourselves and say, you know what, I've been wrong and I'm sorry that I've hurt you and, and we're not going to go back and forth and who's right and who's wrong and why I'm justified and my hurt feelings and why you're justified. And we're not going to go all about that. I'm just going to let you know, let there be no strife between me and thee for we be brethren. And you know what, you want that? Then I'm going to take that. And it might cause me loss and it might be bad for my business and it might be bad for my cattle, but I don't care because our relationship is too important and I'm not going to spend my life fighting with you, Lot, and I'm not going to let my employees spend their lives fighting with your employees, Lot, for we be brethren. And when God sees that spirit and when God sees that heart, I believe God looks and says, there's somebody that I can bless. And you know what? Look to the north and look to the south and look to the east and look to the west and all of this. And the seed, he gives what one of the greatest promises, what we call the Abrahamic covenant. He gives one of the greatest promises to Abraham. I'm going to bless. You're not going to be able to count the, the, your seed, your children. I'm going to multiply you in a great and a mighty way. When did he learn to do that? When did he receive that from God? He, this all happened after he handled the conflict well. By the way, we also see the effects of approaching conflict resolution with a selfish interest. Lot. Again, I'm not trying to be too hard on Lot. I think maybe he should have responded what Abram said, take the right, I'll take the left. He should have said, no, sir, you take whatever you want. Instead, he said, oh, well-watered plains. Oh, what's best for me? Oh, man, I can, I can really work this relationship to really help me out. I can get the best out of this deal. We know the end of the story with Lot. He sure didn't get the best end of that deal. I believe one of the reasons he didn't handle the conflict correctly, he approached it with a selfish interest. Let me get the best out of this for myself. It's foolish to think that you can be around any person, whether it's in marriage, at work, in family, at church, for any length of time, without conflict. Conflict is inevitable. Ignoring it will not make it disappear. If you don't deal with it, it's like an infection. It'll fester. We need to clean it out of our lives. We need to be the mature spiritual party. By way of review, if you're going to diffuse the conflicts of life, you need to understand the source of all conflict. Only by pride cometh contention. Number two, regardless of the situation, take the lead. And Abram said unto Lot. Number three, deal with the situation directly. And Abram said unto Lot, not to anybody else. No third party involved doing his dirty work. Number four, seek resolution, not victory. Number five, let them know the relationship is more important than the reason for contention. Number six, number six, defer to the other party. Number seven, God will bless you for handling conflict properly. I don't know why I felt that God would have me to repeat this message. It's not that I know of a ton of conflict. This, this church is one of the most 
one of the sweetest spirits of a church I've ever been in, whether I've preached or visited or, or anything. It's a wonderful place. I don't know all about your, your home situations. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know why God led me here. But I do know, since I taught it in August, July or August, there hasn't been a week gone by that I haven't been brought back to some of these principles in my own life, dealing with conflict biblically. And I hope that something that was said tonight was a help to the body of Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed.